good to be back with you folks at Two Rivers tonight. One year ago this Sunday, Glenda had just finished a year's tour with Regeneration, 569 concerts in 369 days. And uh, I had just finished my first year at seminary. This year, we finished one year of marriage, another year at seminary, and have grown a lot. And um, tonight, the song we'd like to share with you is Walking in the Light of His Love. And that's what we found that's been most helpful to us this year, is continuing to grow and to walk down that path with him.
stand, please, as we share together in the reading of God's Word. Our scripture passage for tonight and the text for the message is just one verse of scripture in the 27th chapter of Matthew's Gospel and the second verse. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you for many blessings that have come to us from your hand today. Thank you, dear Lord, for those who love you and who across the years have given themselves to the discipline of music, who have composed and arranged and shared their gifts with us. Thank you, dear Lord, for those in this service who have blessed us by their disciplined ability to sing at the instrument. And Father, it's our earnest plea that your word would speak with a freshness to us tonight and help us to live in the very strength and the very wisdom of your word. And somehow, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit in us and about us, dear Lord, do in us that which would change us forever, make our lives more radiant, more Christ-like. And we give this hour to you praying that this would be the accomplishment of the hour for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
title of the message tonight is Christ in the Everyday World. And the text for the message tonight is the very first part of this second verse in the 27th chapter of the book of Matthew. The first part of that verse reads, And when they had bound him... And when they had bound him. I want to tell you three brief stories that I think will illustrate the text. In the People's Church in St. Paul a number of years ago, a tragic fire destroyed the sanctuary. In an effort to salvage as much as possible from the burning sanctuary, they carried out as one of the major objects that they wanted to rescue a world-famous painting, Sir Walton's The Appealing Christ one of the world's great masterpieces. Out in the street, in the front of the burning church, literally thousands and thousands of people for the first time saw that magnificent masterpiece. Though those same thousands had passed the church and that painting, literally hundreds of times. It was only when the painting was carried outside the church that the people saw it. The second story that I want to tell you is a story that the great Episcopal Bishop Philip Brooks wrote about. He said there were folks who visited one of the South Sea Islands and they wanted to give something to the tribe that would be a memento of the visit and something that would be helpful for them. And so they presented to them a beautifully embellished and engraved sundial. And the tribe was so appreciative of the sundial that they immediately built a hut over it. So it could no longer function in its purpose. The third story that I want to tell you is an event that happened, I suppose, 15 years ago. One of the great photographers employed by Time Life was sent to Italy almost a year ahead of the publication time 
for the Christmas issue of Life magazine for that particular year. And his photographic assignment was to photograph and bring back new negatives of the great Leonardo da Vinci's fresco on the wall of the Last Supper. It would be a major spread over two pages in the Christmas issue of Life magazine for that year. Weeks went by. No prints came, and the photographer did not return. And the editor, and some of you who are editors around the way, or you deal with editors, know how frantic the deadline can get. And by transatlantic cable, they contacted the photographer and said, what's the trouble? We, re we need the picture, the negative, immediately. And the cable came back. I cannot get the color right. And they replied, keep shooting. He tried every kind of camera. He tried every kind of film. He experimented in combinations of lighting. And he could not get the color right. Until at last he discovered that the centuries of dirt and dust and moisture had so put a layer over that magnificent painting that while the naked eye could perceive the color in something of its exactness, the photographic film could not. And it was only when he finally settled upon shooting with an infrared film was he able then to penetrate the dust and the dirt and the overlay of the centuries in order to get the color right. Now, what do these three stories have in common? And how do these three stories relate? to the first part of the second verse of the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew says, And they bound Jesus. I think the three stories illustrate well how easy it is for us to bind Jesus and to hide him away within the walls of our churches so that the world passing by does not see him. By the tens of thousands, there are those who have come summer by summer to that wonderful experience across the highway. They might glance over here and some might wonder what you do over here. But for the most part, Christ is hidden 
behind the walls. And they bound Jesus. It is so important that we stop to remember that coming to church is not for the purpose of simply adoring Christ or talking about Christ or preaching Christ or teaching Christ or singing about Christ, but that the purpose of coming to church is somehow or other to learn how we can energize our spiritual batteries so that Christ will not be bound, hidden behind our church walls, but rather will be exposed for all the world to see him as to who he is and to what he has done for us. Do we do what the tribe of the South Pacific Island would do with the sundial to put a hut over it as far as Jesus is concerned? Have we allowed the debris of the centuries to somehow varnish and change so the image of Christ that the world does not perceive him correctly? Do we carry on our religious activities and our religious functions so contained within the walls of our churches and this church that those who pass by are not aware that we are disciples of a master, the master by the name of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. You see, it's easy for us to bind Jesus also. And we do that when we talk about him only when we're in church. If you don't talk about Jesus where you work, you see, you're just like the folks in the people's church at St. Paul who hid away the famous painting for many, many decades and the world couldn't see it. Only the folks who happened to come inside saw it. If you just talk about Jesus and if you just sing about Jesus and if you just think about Jesus when you come to church, you too then are guilty of binding Christ, of walling him in behind these church house walls. But Christ was not meant to be confined to the walls, not meant to be bound. But when you're not comfortable talking about Jesus, at home, when you never talk about Jesus where you work, and if you do not talk about Jesus any place but here, aren't you doing what these others have done? You've hidden Jesus behind the walls. When somehow or other the devil convinces us that the best place for people to become Christian is when they actually come to church and hear the preaching and hear the good music and then respond to the invitation that will only win them when they come into the middle of the church house 
when somehow the devil convinces us of that fact, we bind Jesus. When we do not go out and door to door and house to house and family to family, visitation is the hardest thing in the world. The devil will put 10,000 reasons as to why you should not go and visit somebody in the name of Jesus Christ. The devil knows that if you show some concern and interest in a neighbor family, something good's going to happen to the glory of God, and the devil doesn't want it to happen. The devil knows that if you take time and invest in going and parking your car, if you can find a parking place, and then walk down the hospital halls, if you can find your way around the maze of the hospital halls, and to visit some folks who are sick and who need a Christian visit. Or you can find a thousand reasons, and the devil will give us all a thousand reasons as to why we don't take the time and invest the time in telling about Jesus in the midst of the hospital hall because the devil knows something good's going to happen to the glory of God and for that person and for you if you'll take Jesus out of these walls. Devil's done a pretty good job on us, hasn't he? He's pretty well convinced us that it's somebody else's job to carry Jesus someplace else. We feel pretty satisfied if we come and teach or get taught or preach or get preached to or sing or get sung to. We're pretty satisfied. And we then go our way and put the keys in the car and turn the ignition and the wheels begin to roll and we leave Jesus bound, bound within these walls. And we say, so long, Jesus. I'll see you next week. Hope you'll be here when I come back. We bind Jesus. We imprison Jesus behind these walls when somehow we have the concept that Christianity is only what we do when we come to the church house. Real Christianity is a whole lot more than what we have done today. Real Christianity is a whole lot more than the few hours that we spend together. I'm not knocking it. I'm all for it. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together is the express word of God. And I know an individual can be a Christian without the church, but he's not much of a Christian. And he'll not grow as a Christian. And he'll not grow in his compassion for others. And he'll not grow to be more like Christ. And he'll not grow in the knowledge of the Word of God. And he'll not be pleasing to God. Or you can be a Christian on the golf course. In fact, you ought to be. Or at the fishing hole, you ought to be. If we were as honest as we say we are, we ought to have some funeral services. Instead of having them at the church for folks, we ought to bury some of them have the funeral service out on the golf course or on the tennis court or off by the river or the lake where folks go fishing, where they've said so many times, oh, I can worship so nice over there. I get so close to God there. 
And if we were really honest, that's where we ought to have some folks' funerals. If any of us is seeking to live the Christian life with the concept that all of Christianity is contained with what goes on within these walls, then we need to challenge that and we need to let God speak to us. Oh, we imprison Jesus. Jesus wasn't like that at all. When Jesus in flesh upon this earth walked among men, he did not hide away in the synagogue or in the temple. He made his appropriate appearance there. He spoke the appropriate words there. He acknowledged the value and the validity of the synagogue and the temple. But as I watch Jesus, I see him going down the road with his disciples and a little bird is falling over on the side and he says, hey, 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 fellas, slow up here a minute. See that little old bird? And they all look over. Yeah, we see that bird. What about him? You know something, fellas? My father attended that little bird's funeral. What? What are you talking about, Master? That's right. My father knew when that little bird died. And my father cared. Don't you fellows know that if my father takes note when a little bird dies and falls to the side of the road, if he has care like that for a little old bird, don't you know he cares for you a whole lot more? Oh, I watch Jesus. And I see Jesus in the midst of the crowd, and they're pushing around him, and a lot of folks want to touch him. It's in that year of his popularity. He was not always popular, but here was the year of the popularity of Jesus. And as I look at him and as I listen to him, and I notice that something rather a strange expression comes on his face, and he stops. The disciples are all around him, almost, I suppose, like a, like a bodyguard formed about him, and he, and he, and he stops, and the, and the disciples stop. And they, they look at him with, with question marks on their eyes, and it, in, on their face, and they say, What is it, Master? He said, Somebody touched me. And they look at him and say, Well, of course somebody touched you. Look at all these people around here. Of course somebody touched you. What do you mean somebody touched No. Somebody touched me with faith. Somebody touched me believing. I felt power go from me. And they watched as Jesus reached out and he spoke lovingly to the woman who had been sick nearly all her life. With that touch of faith, she reached out and touched him because she'd said to herself, said to God, if I can just touch him, I know things will be different. Jesus was not meant to be confined within synagogues or temples or within churches. Jesus performs his healing miracles not only in these walls, thank God that he does it, 
the healing of soul, the healing of mind, and the healing of body. Yes, Jesus is still in the healing business today for the total person, but he doesn't confine his activity to these walls. And the only time he does is when we do like they did in the 27th chapter of Matthew when we're told they bound Jesus. Have you been guilty of binding Jesus? Would you wrap Jesus around with chains or ropes or straps? Would you lock Jesus away in some little room so that the world cannot see him? How can the world see him? My Bible says that this church, this New Testament church, is the visible body of Jesus Christ on the earth today. My Bible says that this church, Two Rivers Baptist Church, Nashville, Tennessee, being the body of Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, directed by the Holy Spirit of God, is then to be doing anything and everything that Jesus was doing as he walked on the face of the earth. And Jesus was not locked away behind closed doors. The plea of the hour is for you and for me. I speak to myself as I speak to you that we stop this business of somehow believing that the totality of our Christianity is to be spent when we come and have a good time together here. But rather let us see and know that the totality of being like Christ is to go out into the world and live like Christ. Live the Christ-like life. Where there are people who hurt, help them. Where there are people who are sad, comfort them. Where there are people in need, lift them up. Years and years, I don't know how many years ago, I think I must have been a little boy. I saw a clipping in a paper and I cut it out. And I've kept it through all these years. And it goes like this. Very simple little thing. When I met him, I was looking down. But when I left him, I was looking up. And when I first read that, I prayed a prayer to God. God, let me live like that. So that when people see me, or hear me, or think of me, that a blessing could come to them in the name of Jesus. That's what living the Christian life is all about. That's unbinding the Christ. That's taking Christ out into the world. That's living the Christ life where we live. What a difference your office would be if everybody in that office saw Christ in you. What a difference your home would be if every member of the family 
saw Christ in you. Christ was not sanctuary bound, and we must not bind him if we are to be faithful and true to him. And so the business of this church is to take Christ out into the highways and the byways. The business of this church is to shout the name of Christ and to live like Christ and to do the Christ things everywhere, everywhere we go. I am one who in my own devotional reading greatly enjoys the King James translation of the Scriptures. That's what I grew up with. But I want to say a great big thank you publicly to scholars who train their brains and who love God and who want to exalt Jesus, who will so become scholars of the ancient Greek and the Hebrew that they can take it and translate it into the language of today. Because there are a great many people who if they could not read the Word of God in the language of today would not read it at all. And Jesus is not a stained glass figure. Jesus is not a thee and thou speaking somebody out in the old ancient past. Jesus is here and is now and he's modern and he's up to date. And I think if he were to walk in this place, he would use the slang of the day because he would communicate the great heart throb of his heavenly father. And I think we have a responsibility to pray for our translators, for the Wycliffe translators, for the others who will go into forbidden areas here a group of people, 5,000, 10,000, 25,000 people, no written language, therefore no Bible. And they'll go in and they will listen and they will turn that spoken language into a written language. Create, if you please, a written language for some tribe. And the very first order of business then will be to translate some book of pornography? No. Some comic strip character book? No. The Sears and Roebuck catalog? No. But the first order of business then is to translate the Word of God. Thank God for that. I'm not sure I've prayed for translators as I ought. I'm certain that I have criticized them more than I should have and found fault in some of their translations in the knowledge that every translation is indeed an interpretation. But I stand guilty before you and before them that I have not prayed for them as I ought, and I dare say you have not either. 1,300 languages and tribal dialects now have some portion of the Bible translated into that language. But did you know that there's something like 2,000 additional languages or tribal dialects 
that up to this moment of history do not have even John 3.16 translated for them. What a tragedy. Some of you young people who have a facility with language, it comes easy for you. You discipline yourself to the knowledge of grammar and syntax and all the rules of language and foreign languages come easy for you. Let me challenge you to see if it is not in the will of God for you to dedicate your life to the knowledge, the study of the language of the, of the languages of the Bible and then to translate it for people who do not know about Jesus. And when you do that, you'll be like Jesus. For Jesus left the glories of heaven and he came to earth and he talked to us about his Father. He translated the Father for us. You know, when he came to the end of his ministry, the disciples said, Master, it's been good to be with you. You've shown us so many things. You've shared so many insights with us. Just do one more thing for us and then we'll be satisfied. He said, what's that, fellas? They said, this is going to take some doing, Master. Show us the Father. We'd like to be a little inner circle and have something for us that's different from anybody else. We can be an exclusive little group. You show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And I cannot begin to imagine the sorrow in his voice. as Jesus must have looked every one of them straight in the eye. And he said, have I been with you for these three years? And haven't you learned it yet? When you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He translated the Father for us. He was the divine Logos. He was the exact expression of God. He brought God into our personal lives. If you would be like Jesus, then you must do the same thing for others. You must bring God in Jesus into people's personal lives. I close with one brief story. A wealthy businessman had a habit of stopping at a little shoeshine stall because the little fellow there who would shine his shoes did such a good job. And he noticed that as he would shine his shoes, he'd be singing and smiling, and he gave the best shine anywhere around. 
And after a few months, this rather wealthy businessman said, Son, I don't understand you. You're happy during a menial task, and you give the best shine I've ever seen. What's your secret, boy? And the little fellow looked up at him and said, Why, sir, I'm a Christian, and I just imagine that every pair of shoes I'm shining happens to be worn by Jesus, and I sure want them to shine good. He just imagines that every pair of shoes he shines is being worn by Jesus. I wonder how different tomorrow would be if you did whatever you do as though you were doing it for Jesus. Would tomorrow be any different? I think it would. The first part of the second verse of the 27th chapter of Matthew says, And they bound Jesus. My plea tonight is that we unbind him. My plea tonight is that you determine here and now that you will not leave him within these walls, that you will go with him, that you will speak to him, that you will introduce him as your friend to your friends. Un bind Jesus. That's the way for your Christian life to take on new meaning. In a few minutes we're going to sing. I hope that everyone in the congregation will make a decision of some kind. 